Sorry, DH. I'm just so excited for church today, I apologize. <laughs> we are not going to chime the hour. Uh, <clears throat> sorry for that. Welcome to Northminster Church this morning. I hope you all are as excited to be here as I am, whether you are joining us in person or online. We are glad to have your presence with us this morning. I want to say a special word of welcome to anyone visiting with us today. We are particularly glad that you are here. And if you haven't uh, been with us this morning, know that we celebrate communion every week at Northminster. So if you come up, uh, there are instructions on the insert to your order of worship, or you can follow the people around you. And if you are in need of a gluten-free wafer, when you come up, just get my attention. I will make sure you have one of those prepared for you. You might have noticed as you came in today that uh, there's a lunch table set up out in the narthex. That's because today is a special day. Oh, my spider friend is back. Uh, today is a special day. Our uh, dear friend Samuel is here with his uh, fiance. Oh, sorry, no, it starts with an S. Sarah. Sarah, thank you. Craig told me right before church and it fell out of my head. They are here today not only to uh, celebrate Samuel's graduation, but to be here and to visit with us. And we thought what better way to celebrate with them uh, as they get prepared for their wedding than to have a lunch and spend some time together. So everyone is welcome to stay for lunch, have a sandwich, make sure you talk to them, tell them congratulations. So do please stick around after worship for that. Also, you will notice again our beautiful uh, Advent flowers. I will ask you for the next uh, weeks of Advent, you admire them from afar, do not take them home. The music uh, for our Advent lighting song, again, will be on your insert. So if you're looking for that after the Advent candle is lit, that's where you will find it. And then finally, I want to draw your attention to this week's Advent banner, which is that one back there with the Alpha and Omega on it. Again, uh, these banners are as old, almost as old as our churches. And this one in particular is the Banner of Peace. The orb and cross at the base of the banner, combined with the olive wreath above, symbolize Christ's conquest of the world through the peace he brings. The streams of purple flowing down from the crown through the alpha and omega uh, symbols speak of the everlasting qualities of true peace through Christ the King. The purple border, as on each of our Advent banners, is the color of royalty, associated with the birth of Christ our King. So I hope that that explanation helps you appreciate these very special banners just a little bit more. I think that is everything. Do please check the insert to your order of worship to make sure you're not missing any announcements. But what I'd like for us to do now, including Messiah coming up this week, what I'd like for us to do now is take a deep breath. And you all know by this point that we take this deep breath to give ourselves a chance to settle, to give ourselves a chance to slow down, and to give ourselves a chance to be in touch with where we are physically, and hopefully emotionally and spiritually as well. So take that deep breath. Breathe out your shopping list. Breathe out the boxes that haven't been shipped yet to family across the country. And as you breathe in, breathe in the joy of this good place. Breathe in the joy 
of being surrounded by people who love you just as you are. Breathe out again. Know that there is nothing about you that God doesn't already know and love. And then let us worship together. How does a weary world rejoice? By listening before we speak and saying sorry when we need to. By advocating for justice and caring for our neighbor. By practicing Sabbath and forgiving 70 times 7. By choosing grace. ways to practice peace. So today, we light the candle of peace as a reminder of a charge. With God's help, may we bring peace into a weary
young friends, how are you? Good. Make sure my microphone's working. I don't think it is. Plus it's on. So, what is the big holiday everybody's waiting for? Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> It'll be here really soon, but we have to wait until then, right? Yeah. That's when the baby Jesus was born. It's only it's only 15 it's only 15 days. Oh my gosh. Oh. So are you guys are you glad to be waiting? Do you enjoy waiting? You do. So parents, you can just wait until like January to give them all their presents, right? Yeah, you said you're okay with waiting. Yeah. Well, we're going to read a book today. I'm going to I'm not going to read the whole thing. We don't have time for the whole thing, so you can look at it after church if you want to. But it's called, what is that word? Waiting. Waiting. We're going to talk about waiting. Okay. There were five of them, and they were waiting. Hey, pay attention to me, please. Thank you. The owl with spots was waiting for the moon. The pig with the umbrella was waiting for the rain. The bear with the kite was waiting for the wind. The puppy on the sled was waiting for the snow. And the rabbit with stars wasn't waiting for anything in particular. He just liked to look out the window and wait. We're going to skip some of these pages. Hold on just a second. Let me flip. As they waited at the window, they saw many wonderful and interesting things. Do you see all the shapes in the clouds? That's them, and there's an umbrella, and there's a kite, and there's an owl, a bunny. So they wait, and they wait, and they wait through the rain, and they wait through the snow, and they wait through fireworks, and they just keep waiting until one day... A cat with patches joined them. You see the cat with the patches? Mm -hmm. Was she waiting for the moon? No. Was she waiting for the rain? No. Was she waiting for the wind? No. Was she waiting for the snow? No. She didn't seem to be waiting for anything in particular. Oh, but she was. And look at this. Look what happens to the kitty. Look at all the other kitties. Now there were ten of them, and they were happy together. Do you see how there are more kitties now? That's right. There are ten of them. And they all waited to see what would happen next. So, Ricky, pay attention. Thank you. I know waiting isn't easy, right? Our friends in the book, they waited and waited and waited. Even though nothing really happened. And eventually Christmas will get here. But while we wait, how can we be good at waiting? What are some things we can do? What do you think, Parker? Being patient? Yes. 
Okay. What do you think? Do something fun, maybe take your mind off of it? What do you think, CJ? Okay. What do you think, Ricky? How can we wait really well? Okay. What do you think? Okay. What do you think? What can we do? Yeah. That's right. Could you also maybe help your parents with things around the house? Yes. Like cooking. I know you guys do a lot of baking at your house. Could you? You could sweep. You could help wrap presents. You could make hot chocolate. You might need to get help making hot chocolate. Maybe you don't do that by yourself. You could turn around and look at me, please. You know what else you could do? You could be kind. Because if we ever, do you ever, when you get impatient, are you ever not as nice as you probably should be? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm impatient, I'm not very friendly. We can remember that Christmas will be here eventually, and to continue to be kind. You can also take a nap. I love that. Yes, ma'am. You can also what? You can pray. That's a wonderful idea. So, we've got several more weeks till Christmas this year, but I want you to remember you have all of these things you can do to help you wait really well, okay? Now, turn around, face the congregation, sit up nice and straight and tall, keep your hands to yourselves, turn all the way around, thank you. Hands in your laps, please. And we're going to say our prayer. I'll say the first line. You say it back to me nice and loud. Adult, you're welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now.
A reading from Isaiah, chapter 40. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. Their constancy is like the, field, the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are the grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. See, the Lord of God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead the mother sheep. A reminder that we are in a season of preparation. Thanks, Thanks be to Jesus God. God. Let's pray together. Create a th throne room for yourself here, O Christ. But let it be the empty seat beside the anxious, the lonely chair next to the confused, the vacant pew next to the hungry, and reign, O Christ, as sovereign over the forgotten. May your reign be a mockery to the world, but good news to those who seek out truth. And may we join them in the search, finding you walking the streets, or break, baking bread, or sitting by bedsides. May we find you in border areas on the edge of things, crossing over with the foreigner. May we find you among children, learning to finger paint as teachers to those who long to enjoy life again. May we find you with the worried silence, with nothing to say, and space enough to keep. May we find you on the wrong side of the tracks, going where you should not, and finding a place to lay your head amongst the lost. May we find with you a word that lives in the hopes of the afraid and a comforting peace for those who are broken. May we find you laughing at the powerful and unnerving what folks think so secure while welcoming those who have nothing into your throne room. O oh Jesus, reign in this world with your upside-down kingdom, and may we find the faith to stand with you, sovereign of life and servant of all. Amen.
reading from the Gospel according to Luke. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me in this time, when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of a greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believeth that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. The Gospel of our Lord. Let's pray together. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. No one was more surprised by my pregnancy than me. I'd worked hard to accept the teaching from Scripture that the Lord had closed my womb, and it almost succeeded. I had worked hard not to be bitter that my husband and I were outsiders in our community as the years went by without children, 
and it almost succeeded. In fact, the earliest days of my pregnancy were dominated by my husband's sudden muteness and the realization that I would have a child felt like a dream. I was living in a state of unreality. So much was happening at once. Perhaps that's why I went into seclusion, tucking myself away for months. I needed time for the reality, the enormity of the miracle happening within my body to feel real. Perhaps I drew myself inward to avoid embarrassment from the community. I don't know that I could have handled all of their well-meaning, curious questions. I wouldn't have had any answers, particularly since I couldn't talk with my husband, not that he would have understood what was happening well either. So I spent the first five months of my pregnancy not quite in solitude as I had Zachariah with me, but certainly in considerable silence, at once amazed and anxious about the changes taking place in my body. It's an incredible, almost unbelievable sensation to recognize that you are sharing your body with another human being. You find yourself wondering amongst the kicks and the punches and the somersaults what this little person will be like. What will they grow up to be? And how will you ever be a good enough parent to make him a good person? I created a well-worn mental path wondering about God's timing. While I was sure God had, direct, had a direct hand in my pregnancy, I couldn't help but question, why now? Despite my joy, I spent many of those quiet days wondering why God had made us wait so long, questioning if we'd finally done something God had needed us to do to open my womb. Had we kept God waiting for some necessary sacrifice without knowing it? I also wondered about my husband's sudden silence. Now, Zachariah was never one to talk for the sake of noise. He was comfortable with silence and a deep thinker, perhaps by natural inclination, perhaps due to his priestly training. But throughout our years together, we'd always had wonderful conversations. We could always talk to each other until we couldn't. Those days of silence during my pregnancy stretched out longer than I knew days could be. And though we could communicate about small things, non-verbally or with a few letters scratched in the dirt, conversation wasn't possible. Sharing about this miraculous happening in our life wasn't possible. And it wasn't until after my son was born that I learned Zachariah's Zachari silence was due to his questioning God. But not just questioning I would find out later my cousin Mary had also questioned the angel that came to her. The problem was Zachariah, my thoughtful, analytical husband, had requested proof of God. This priest of God's temple, who knew the ins and the outs of our religion, our most sacred worship, didn't believe the angel's words, and so God muted him. Gave him plenty of thinking time, as he would say in the years that followed. And I unintentionally joined him in that silence, tucked away, until one, in fact, the only 
one who could understand the miraculous thing happening in my life arrived at my door. The trip from my home to Elizabeth's is a blur. Did I travel alone or was I accompanied? All that remains clear in the haze after the angel's visit was that I couldn't be alone. I needed to be with someone who would understand what was happening to me and inside of me. Elizabeth was the only option, the only one who would understand my wonder and shock at God's choice of me, a girl so unremarkable that to this day, your scholars don't know anything concrete about me beyond where I was when the angel came to me. I am an anomaly, an atypical character in your sacred book. Cousin Elizabeth's story, while remarkable, holds echoes of other women who waited years for God to give them children. Think of Sarah and Rachel and, and Hannah. But there's no story quite like mine in your text. And though the people from my time were aware of stories of God's being intimate with human women and producing children, that isn't my story. So even if you think of me as an unknown quantity, I can assure you the Lord choosing me to be the mother of this remarkable child was as much a surprise to me as it is to you. The only one who wasn't surprised was Elizabeth. Now much of the credit for Elizabeth's quick understanding goes to our boys. As John leapt inside her at the mere presence of my child inside me. My child had that effect on people, at least when they took the time to really see him throughout his life. And I will always be grateful for John who prepared the way for my son even in the womb. He made an explanation of my miraculous condition to my cousin unnecessary, not that I could have explained the angel's appearance or God choosing me. And so in that time we spent together, there was a deep knowing of motherhood between me and Elizabeth. There were so many questions neither of us could answer. Why us? Why now? And what was to become of these children we carried safe and snug close to our hearts? But what we did know was that the divine, the eternal, our Lord was there with us, between us, inside us, surrounding us as our children grew. And we found a sisterhood no one else would possibly understand. Now, if you couldn't tell, and I'm speaking as myself now, I love this story. I love the story of Elizabeth and Mary and the sisterhood they find with each other. And though I've, of course, read these verses before, they sit a little differently when you carry your own remarkable little person. And I feel her not only leap, but a pogo stick <laughs> inside of me. But there's something about this story I hadn't noticed before, and I found it quite powerful, so I want to share it with you. Luke uses Elizabeth and Mary as the standard for what is about to come. Luke uses Elizabeth and Mary as the standard for what is about to come, meaning the gospel writer sees these women as the example of what faithfulness is, the example of what servanthood is, the example of hearing and feeling God's call, 
and responding not just with their whole hearts, but with their whole bodies. And speaking of feeling God's call, keep in mind that Elizabeth wasn't visited by the angel like Zachariah and Mary are. She knows only that she is pregnant somehow after so many years of waiting, but she is not privy to the information about her son her husband has. And yet when John leaps in her womb, this is the first of his many testimonies about Jesus. When John leaps in Elizabeth's womb, this is the first of his many testimonies about Jesus. Elizabeth knows in that moment, she's aware that she is in the presence of her Lord. And in fact, Elizabeth is the first person to call Jesus Lord anywhere in the Gospels. She's the first one to call Jesus Lord anywhere in the Gospels. She is also the first to offer a beatitude anywhere in the Gospels. That beatitude being, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now that might not seem all that important, but these details make Elizabeth the prototype for Luke and prophets, in that she sets the standard for speaking by inspiration of the Spirit and points to God's salvation, which is offered to those who believe. Elizabeth is the first to perform what will become a central theme throughout the entire gospel. She is a prophet. Now finally, on this Sunday of peace, I want you to notice the peace these women find in each other. Although nothing else swirling around them was peaceful, not their relationships with their men, not their place in society, not the political occupation they live under. Even their own bodies aren't peaceful as they grow, these tiny humans. Those of you who've had children know that. And yet, in the midst of this chaos, Elizabeth and Mary have each other. They have sisterhood and a small peace. Friends, the good news this morning is that peace doesn't have to encompass the whole world to be valuable. In fact, it's quite unlikely that we can do anything tangible ourselves to bring about peace for the whole of humanity. But what we can do is recognize peace when we find it. We can be open to stepping away from the hustle and the bustle and into peaceful places and spaces. We can work to surround ourselves with peaceful people who offer us the kind of deeply personal relationship that exists between Elizabeth and Mary. We can, even in the midst of the holiday season, choose peace over chaos and anxiety. And we can follow the example of these two extraordinary women, these women who are the standard for faithfulness and prophetic witness, and remember that peace doesn't have to solve every problem to be a balm. Peace doesn't have to fix the future to make it worth seeking. If we're open to it, if we're paying close enough attention, peace can grasp us on a Sunday morning as we gather in this beautiful space. Peace can swirl up in much-needed conversation with a friend. Peace can fall over an ordinary place, making it holy and sacred. And if we're open to it, and if we're paying attention, peace, even small, a small peace, can strengthen us, can draw us together, and can even make us prophetic. 
Thanks be to God. As we come to this time of communion, we remember that this is the table of the heavenly feast, the joyful celebration of the people of God. And in this Advent season, as we long for the presence of Christ among us, we often anticipate Jesus' arrival in traditional places of power. We seek our hope and salvation in what can be false promises of dominance and might. But instead, Jesus brings us salvation through vulnerability. He became bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. God, in the form of a baby, made herself dependent on us. An infant, revealing the transformative power of giving and receiving love through human flesh. Friends, this is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guest, and Christ is the host. There is a seat here with your name on it, so kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. We are on holy ground. All are wanted, and all are welcomed here with our doubts, our shortcomings, our failures, our griefs. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated. You are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that.
And now, if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The night before Jesus died was a solemn time around the table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love and willingness to be vulnerable, he would be seized by those in power. This isn't a surprise because still today we often crucify the ones who dare to risk everything on love. But before he was taken, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers. For no, he knew the end was coming. Jesus joined with those he loved best. And as the night lengthened, he took a simple portion of bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, remember me. And then in the same way when the meal was over, Jesus picked up a cup and he filled it with wine. And during his blessing of it, he reminded the disciples that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. Friends, Christ makes us the same promise. Thanks be to God. Amen. Okay, we all come in together. Let's get over. There he goes. Get all the way over.
Before I offer the benediction, I want to make sure and remind you about the Messiah coming up this Tuesday at 7 p.m. So please make sure, if you're interested, to be here early. I've heard seats go very quickly. And now hear this benediction. May starlight guide your steps toward the place of wonder. May angels sing their news as you travel to the manger. May promise fill these days as we watch at the edge of birth. And may faith tell you, Emmanuel will be with us soon. Go be salty. Amen.